Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Tom Burns today. And I tell you what, this is the person who discovered Robert Kiyosaki. And that is definitely not his most famous accomplishment or, or biggest accomplishment in his life. But it's pretty remarkable that without Tom Burns, the individual that we're speaking with today, you may have never heard of Rich Dad Poor Dad. Poor, Rich Dad Poor Dad may have never become what it has become today. And so Tom Burns, the discoverer, but also the amazing investor, the amazing orthopedic surgeon turned massive real estate entrepreneur who is the most humble person you'll ever meet, but someone who's going to teach us today about how to learn, how to apply that, how to apply and grow our mindset over decades and decades and decades. But also he's going to teach you about learning about, you know, executing on massive multifamily developments. He's going to teach you more about HUD financing. You're going to learn more about how to structure these deals, how to finance these deals, how to raise equity over a long period of time. You're going to learn a lot today. And I want to encourage you to buckle up because today's episode is amazing. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I am a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And before we dive in, I want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, please give us a rating a review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. The only way that we can continue to grow is with your support. So if this is the first time you're listening to Elevate Podcast, welcome. We are grateful to have you, grateful to give you value and to pour into you and to continue to bring amazing people like Tom Burns. Um, the fee for listening today is to share this with a friend. Just grab the link, send it in a text message, an email, post it on social media. It's really easy. Share this with a friend. If you've already done so before on a prior episode, thank you. The fee today is to share this with someone else. And that's all we ask. The only way that we can continue to grow is if we earn the right to your introductions, just as any other business would. And by the way, this is free, 100%. The only thing we ask is that you share this. And I'd also like to ask if you would be so kind to give me a little bit of feedback. What is it that you like about Elevate? What is it that you don't like about Elevate? Anything. There's nothing off limits here. Send me an email at info at elevatepod.com. Of course, you can also send me a DM at elevatepod on Instagram. Um, what content would you like to see more of, less of? Who would you like to hear from? Everything. Let me know. I want you to have the future. I want you to own the future of Elevate because this is about a movement. This is about a community. With all that said, I want to dive in and introduce you to Tom Burns, who is an entrepreneur. 
and an orthopedic surgeon in Austin, Texas. By the way, you're going to hear that, you know, if you don't live in Austin, Texas, maybe you just don't exist because he's telling us all about these people in Austin, Texas and who all lives there. And sounds like everyone, but at the end of the day, Tom is currently a physician for the United States ski team and he travels worldwide with them. He has over 25 years of real estate experience with multiple asset types. In addition to co-founding and managing a freestanding full service hospital, he has acquired and developed $400 million of real estate locally and internationally. Dr. Burns is a principal of Presario Ventures, a private equity real estate company in Austin, Texas. He is listed in the acknowledgement section of Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and is the author of Why Doctors Don't Get Rich, a personal finance guide for people who want to live life to the fullest. He is a sought after speaker and coach and is frequently featured in nationally circulated print articles in popular real estate oriented podcasts. Tom has been financially independent for a decade. His mission is to help people create financial independence so that they can enjoy life and the joy that comes along with it. So without further ado, please enjoy this awesome conversation with Tom Burns. Tom Burns, welcome to Elevate. How are you? I'm great, Tyler. How are you today? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for being with me. I'm excited about our conversation. I actually became familiar with you from a friend who I was just telling you before the, the podcast, and he really admires you. And uh, as I really got familiar with what you're all about, I'm starting to admire you. And, and I'm asking you for advice before the uh, before our conversation today. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you bending your ear for me. But man, today's going to be awesome. So tell me a little bit about how the people that know you best, the people that know you closest, how would they describe Tom Burns? Like, what would they say about you that maybe most don't know, or maybe that's not public knowledge? Uh, they always say, you know, they, they, they um, yeah, I would always say that, I'll, you know, if, if I say I'm going to do it, I get it done. You know, he's a nice guy. They sometimes say the word humble. I'm not sure if I'm humble or not, but they say that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just, uh, they, they would probably tell you that I, I'd rather be, I'd rather you and I be next to each other than running electrons between each other. Mm -hmm. I, I am a people guy. I like to be high-fiving and hugging and stuff like that. And a little bit athletic, maybe. There we go. I like that. Well, yeah, no, I, I wish that we were in the same room right now and we'll have to do that maybe on part two, but man, yeah. I can, I can feel the humility just that does come from you. And I appreciate that very much. Talk a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory a little bit. I know obviously you eventually became an orthopedic surgeon and obviously now a, a real estate entrepreneur, investor, and, and really a dynamic investor in so many different ways, but talk a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Great upbringing, great parents. My dad was a Secret Service agent, so he took care of President Kennedy and Johnson and Truman, those guys. And so because of that, we moved around a little bit. So we were in Washington, D.C., and then we spent a little time in Independence, Missouri. And then I grew up in Texas. I came down here when I was 12 years old. So um, dad was an athlete. He played, you know, played ball at Ohio State. And uh, that's all I did. I, I played sports. I played all the sports available back then and tried everything else. I've tried. I feel like I've tried them all except soccer. Um, <laughs> so, so I grew up, you know, I grew up on baseball fields and, you know, th this body probably wasn't going to be a football player, but I was a pretty reasonable shortstop and center fielder and uh, picked up a tennis racket one day and, and got pretty good at it pretty fast. And so, you know, I had these dreams of, of playing tennis in front of big crowds and stuff like that. And that's all I did. And I, I joke, I tell people all I did was play sports and chase girls. I was at least <laughs> successful in sports. 
Uh, and so I'm eventually successful enough. I, my lovely wife is still with me after 37 years. So, uh, so I've done something right, but that was all I did. And, and, you know, without sounding arrogant about it, school is easy. I, and I like school, you know, I, I still always gave a hundred percent no matter what I was doing. And, uh, and, but school is pretty easy. And so there came a time when I pretty much realized, or was, you know, was, was allowed to realize that nobody was going to pay me to play sports. And so I had to do something else. So I figured I'll be a doctor. I'll be an orthopedic guy. I'll be a sports guy. And that's what I did. So I went and went to med school and I uh, went into orthopedics and got a sports medicine fellowship. And that's, so that was kind of my life. And I wanted to do sports medicine because I wanted to hang around the people that I had the most in common with. And I still hang around with a lot of athletic people now. So that's where the, the tide turned a little bit. And then it really turned. And so that's been, so that was a, I don't know, 20, 30 year career. Maybe I started in 91. I am, I'm, I'm wise. I'm not old. I'm just wise now. There you go. Um, but uh, so that was a great 30 year career that I really enjoyed, really enjoyed. The reason I enjoyed that was back when I was training. So, you know, you go to college, then you go to four years of medical school. Then you do residency. That's five years. And then the sports fellowship was an, a sixth year during that five year residency where I was learning to be an orthopedic surgeon. Somewhere on the back half of that, I started watching the guys that I was supposed to emulate. You know, these are, this is me 40 years from now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I watched these guys and they were in the hospital at 10, 11 o'clock at night. I had to be there because I was, as I tell people, I was an indentured servant. I had to be there, but these guys had lives, but they were still in the hospital late. Maybe they were on their second or third marriage, weren't necessarily happy with what they were doing. I saw enough of that while I was still enjoying my training, but I saw enough of that and it was a little touch on the shoulder from God or just something, one of those aha moments that maybe I ought to look for something else. All I knew was maybe I ought to find something that'll produce a little bit of income that's not correlated with the medical business. And this was in, this was in the late eighties. So we didn't have a whole lot of internet. Al Gore hadn't invented it yet for us. So um, <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so I went to, I went to some seminars. I read some books. I just did stuff. I just started trying to learn a little bit and and kind of continued that education. It was weak education, but it was something that my brain was at least going that way. I went to Vail and, you know, I, I was in Vail, Colorado for my sports medicine. Tough place to be, right? Well, we took Very care tough. of people from all over the world. Um, you know, New York financiers, uh, uh, success, you know, um, actors and actresses from Hollywood. And this guy was a, you know, everybody from the world came in to see him. A lot of athletes, too, which was really fun for me. So um, I kind of got an education there. And I, I just, when I came out, I did what I needed to do after I started getting a doctor's salary and that sort of thing. I paid off some bills and I kept learning. And there just came a point when I figured I, I knew enough and it paid off enough. And I just kind of jumped in and started uh, and started. I started buying real estate. Now, when I first started looking, I wasn't looking for real estate. I didn't come out of the womb saying, I can't wait to be a real estate entrepreneur. You know, I, I just wanted to play baseball, football and tennis, that sort of stuff. But uh I started looking and I, I looked at the stock market and yeah, you know, that moved too fast for me. I just didn't, I didn't want to do that. And I looked at administration, you know, when you're a doctor, it looks like carrying a, carrying a briefcase and wearing a suit looks cool when you're wearing scrubs all the time and you're dirty, but it, that was a dead end. That was a job. I found out I wasn't very employable. 
And uh, so I picked real estate because it moved slow. I could do it part-time or full-time. I could do it on a surgeon's schedule. And so, and I understood it. So that wasn't the bright, probably wasn't the brightest guy around. You know, I wasn't going to go start a tech company. That's for sure. So started small and kind of like everybody, everybody has a first day. I, I bought my first thing and moved on and came across some really good mentors who were, who were great teachers, great friends that helped. Uh, uh, I asked one to be a mentor and I worked for him for a couple of years for free. And now we're partners in a pretty large project. So just kind of moved on and, and still moving still, you know, I'm still on the line. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to learn every day. And that's, that's sort of been my story. No, that's super interesting. It's so interesting also that your and my story, while very different are are somewhat similar in that when I, when I got started my professional career, I was in the corporate world and I was climbing that ladder and, you know, I had my eyes on the corner office, you know, the C-suite, you know, to be an executive. And I looked around and I said, man, do I want to be like some of these people? And, you know, I saw similar patterns that, that you shared, you know, people that were, you know, highly committed to their career, but maybe not as committed to their health or their relationships. And, you know, obviously had the, you know, many of the the income goals and things that, that I thought were important, but I, it, it seems very interesting that you saw the same thing. And I think that's so valuable for us to take a step back and start to question things. And, you know, that can lead us to greater pastures and perhaps more fulfilling lifestyles. And I think that's really interesting. And so, so obviously great for you to be able to identify that and then to start to stack the education on, even with all of the education that you've had, I know that many doctors, physicians where they're in that position are saying, my gosh, I'm, I'm tired of the education. It's like, I've, I've had so much. And so it's really cool to see that you are still willing to go and learn something new and even start from the beginning. And one of the things that I've learned about your backstory also is that you kind of saw some early markers of economic decline um, that you saw in the medical community. And uh, you, it was basically, I guess that was 25 years ago, right? So what were yeah. those? I'm, I'm just curious, what were the markers that you were uh, observing? Yeah, they, um, you know, you could, you could start see, you could start to see the control come in. So now, and so I was early in it. I didn't, I didn't know what doctors made. I, I went into it not even knowing what doctors made. It just looked like a cool way to be a sports guy. And so, That's awesome. but over time, so right when I was training was, somewhat the end of the heyday or the middle of the heyday where the doctor just said, I'm going to do this. And the insurance company said, sure, you know, whatever you say, doc. Well, you know, they're, the insurance companies were looking at, they were, they were counting their beans and realizing, you know, we need to put a handle on this. And so they started bringing in more and more control. The HMO world was coming out, which was a big kind of control mechanism. And I just, I saw the, I saw what I believed was probably going to be the contraction of, of physician autonomy, contraction of physician salaries, you know, so, and I didn't want somebody telling me what to do and make less money doing it. So uh, that's what I saw. And and I didn't know what the time frame was going to be, but it certainly has borne out. And so that's, that's what kind of, kind of kicked me into the non-medical world. And so then you started building passive income, right? So you saw right. this and instead of being a victim to it, you said, I'm a victor on the way to victory. And so now I'm going to take this into my own hands. And so you started to build passive income. So the first step was learning. Then you started to say, all right, well, let's, let's find some people to align with and let's take some action here. So what did that look like over the first few years? I mean, was it smaller properties or were you investing in larger deals as a passive investor? How did that look? Uh, it was, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of syndicate. There wasn't av- the availability of um, passive investments back. I'm sure it was there. I didn't know where to find it. 
you know? So I, I, uh, you know, I went along and, and I just knew I wanted this money that came in without me having to work as hard. I didn't know what to call it. And then I ran across a book in 1997 written by Robert Kiyosaki and, that sort of crystallized things for me. Uh, yeah, there's a diagram in there with the income statement and balance sheet. And the left side of the balance sheet is the asset box, right? I don't know. Seems like oh, everybody's yeah. read the book, of course. Oh, yeah. And uh, so my whole plan was to put stuff in the asset box. I didn't care if it was real estate or anything else. Whatever it was, if it made me a dollar that I didn't have to work for, I was going to put it in there. So that being the case, it pretty much ended up being real estate. So I... Um, so I worked for a while first. I you know, had a nice job. I had a wife and a child. I had a, a, a wife expecting a child and we already had one. And so I didn't necessarily jump off the cliff right at the beginning. I paid the student loans I had, which were minuscule compared to what uh, a lot of a lot of medical folks are facing now. I paid, paid, I paid my bills. I paid my parents back because I got to town completely broke with all the, all the credit cards maxed and you know, I had no money. I had no money when I first got here. And then I had to go for two weeks and volunteer for free at the Olympic Training Center because I'm, I'm with the Olympic ski team. So that was two more weeks of no money. <laughs> so I paid those things off. And once I felt reasonably comfortable, uh, I'd kind of learned some things. I started calling people and saying, I'm ready. I had a friend from high school that did real estate stuff. He goes, great. Uh, we got a deal. And uh, I was going to do that deal, but I'd learned, you know, it was tenant, there was tenants in common. So there was a real estate guy whose income went up and down like this and a developer whose income went up and down like this and a doctor whose income was pretty stable. Knowing who they would come after if uh, things went bad, I said, you know what? I've, I've learned not to be in a tenant in common situation. And uh, so I passed. They made a bunch of money. No big deal. Uh, I started buying my own stuff. And what happened was I ran across a condo at the University of Texas. I'm in Austin, Texas. And I bought this condo, uh, put a relative into it. He was going to be there for a year or two. I figured, you know, I got a tenant. I learned, I learned a lot of the process on that one condominium. I learned how to get my financials together. I learned how to get the appraisals and the inspections and how to find the deals and how to get the debt and all that. And it was, you know, I was just, a, I was just green as can be, mm -hmm. and so, but I just did it. I kept asking people, what do I do now? And people are pretty kind to say, here's what you do. You know, you ask the people in the deal, I ask the banker, what do I do? He told me. So I did that. And then I, and then when it was all said and done, there was positive cash flow. So I like that, you know, that addiction, it doesn't take, doesn't take too many hits for that addiction to take hold. Right. Not at all. So uh, I liked it. And uh, so I bought another one and I bought another one and I started getting really good at it. You know, I started, I started understanding that market. Uh, I knew in a heartbeat what it would rent for, what the cost, you know, what the price was, what I could offer, that sort of thing. So much so that if you don't mind, tell the story that, you know, you get pretty good at a market, you understand your market. I was reading in the Sunday paper back in the day, we had things on paper. There were ads for real estate and it was Sunday night. And I read an ad and I told my wife, I'm buying that. I'm buying that property tomorrow. She said, that's stupid. You haven't seen it. You know, you haven't talked to anybody. I said, look, I know the market. And if it's either, it's either covered with mold and filled with rats or somebody has mispriced it. So I was, remember I'm a doctor, right? So I'm eight blocks down the road, seeing patients in my office. And I call the broker in the morning. We set up like a 10 o'clock appointment. 
So I fill my office. I'm seeing patients. I walk out the back door, zip down eight blocks, look at the place real quick, make an offer, walk back. Patients never knew I was gone. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, awesome. Uh, and it turned out that that had been a mispriced, mispriced unit. The broker was not a student broker. The owner had owned it for four years and lived in Houston. They had no idea what had happened to the prices and what the rents were and all that stuff. So it turned out to be one of those deals like you're reading Robert Allen's book. I, I got it under contract, got it appraised for way over the asking price. And they wrote me a check for a thousand dollars at the closing table and it's cash flowed ever since I still own that. So that's awesome. Anyway, so it was student properties. And then, then it went to, you know, you know, 20, 20 to 40 unit buildings on campus, that sort of thing. And what happens is when you're in the market, when you're just out there, when you're exposing yourself, which means you're exposing yourself to failure and success. But when you're exposing yourself, people know you're there. When they know you'll close, they bring you deals. When they see you doing things, they want to be your partner. And a good partner will tend to provide you some value. So things started to grow and I started to get some partners. I, um, you know, I think I, I think I reached a point where I thought, yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm, I kind of felt like I was hitting some sort of a ceiling. And that's when I, I did ask a friend of mine, I said, you know, he was a friend I'd vacationed with. He was a developer, a real estate guy done really well. I said, I really like what you do. You know, will you show me? And he, he says, you're a rich doctor. You don't need to know that stuff. I said, you know what? That's okay. I want to know. And so about a year and a half, between a year and a half and two years, I just helped him. We did build the suits for banks. I was looking at land. I was doing things. I made zero dollars. But now, but, you know, as Providence will have it now, he and I, just the two of us, we own a rather large medical center together that we put together, which fit nicely because he had the doctor, you know, and so, uh, you know, things, life, life kind of rewards you that way sometimes. That's super interesting. And and I want to rewind just a bit because it's, it's helpful to understand your trajectory and the way that you learned and stacked on your experience and turn that into new experience as you move forward. And I thought that was a great example that you just shared as well as be willing to invest time, effort, and energy into learning, which can then also compound into new opportunities in the future as well. But I, I wanted to rewind back to that time when you're in the bookstore and you found Robert Kiyosaki's book. I, from what I understand, this is when this book was totally obscure, rich dad, poor dad, which has now become what many would, would, would consider one of the greatest books on personal finance that's ever been written. One of the world's most successful. And when you found that book, it was like totally obscure. Right. And, and, and tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it wasn't a bookstore. It was a car wash. Are you uh, serious? I'm serious. So, so the story is, I, there was a time my family went up to Dallas for an errand. So I was at home by myself. And when their family's gone, I get stuff done. My truck was dirty. So I went, I took it to the car wash to get the truck washed. And it's one of those where you, you know, the guy meets you outside and ask you which plan you want and off your car goes and they, they rub it down and everything. I went inside to the counter to pay. So I'm standing at the counter. And at the time I was, I was reading everything. If it, had anything to do with real estate, personal development, money, you know, whatever the title, I, I would soak it in. I'd read everything. And so uh, I'm, I'm paying my bill and I look across the way and on the, in the back, there's on a shelf, there's this sort of hodgepodge stack of purple and gold books with a hand printed sign that says books for sale. But I could see from there, it had the word rich on it. You know, I said, let me see that book that rich dad, poor dad. And it said, it said what the, what the rich teach their kids about money that the poor and middle class don't. And I thought, 
Well, that's pretty cocky. So if that guy can say that on his cover, maybe he's got something to say to me. So I said, put it on my bill. So she did, took it home, threw it on my desk in my office and ran around, finished the other errands, watched a bad movie or something. And uh, I was going to bed about 1130 at night. I hadn't even opened the books. I opened up the cover to see what I'm going to read one day. And I kind of kind of enjoyed what I saw and looked at another page, kind of leaned against the desk and read a few more pages. It caught my attention. I figured I'll, I'll read a chapter. I'll read a few pages. So I sat down, just read a little bit. About four hours later, the book was finished. Uh, I called a friend of mine and said, I just read the best personal finance book I've ever read in my life. He's like, sure you did. Great. You know, go to sleep. I had to wait till seven or seven in the morning to call this guy. You know, at 3.30 in the morning, there's nobody to call. It's like, it's like hitting a hole in one when you're playing golf by yourself. There's nobody to talk to. So that was me for the next, you know, three or four hours. So I got in the book. He said, man, you're right. It's a pretty good book. So if you look on the inside of most books, there's the publisher, right? And how to contact the publisher, get more books or things like that. So we call a number and, you know, wanted to talk to the, because nobody knew the author. It was just an obscure, obscure name. The guy on the other end of the line was Robert. Robert Kiyosaki and uh, talked to him and he said, so I'd like to get the rest of your books. I said, how many you got left? He goes, well, I printed a thousand. I sent 24 to Austin. He said, so I got 700, I got 976 left. Wow. Turns out the book that I bought and it's, it's actually now, it now hangs in the rich dad office. The book I bought was the first rich dad ever purchased in the world. Whoa. So, so I went back the next time I had gone back the next day and emptied and bought the rest of the books and handed them out to friends and said, Hey, this guy's good. You know, look at this book. So went ahead and flew to Arizona, met Robert. He taught us how to play cash flow. My wife won the game. Of course she won because Robert was right here in her ear telling her what to do. <laughs> so we won the game. So our prize was the game. So we can, we still have that on the shelf. Nobody will play with me, but I have an original cash flow game. Got to know Robert pretty well. Get ready to leave. And he's pulling, he's pulling books out of his trunk, you know. I said, hey, dude, I don't want, you know, I don't want to take all your books. He goes, don't worry about it. Nobody's buying them anyway. And uh, understatement, right? And so I took those books, handed them out. I brought him back to Austin to talk to some friends just to talk about, you know, his his thoughts and ideas. And after he wrote, he had written Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he pulls a flip chart out and he does this cross and he says, I want to talk about this thing called the cash flow quadrant, mm-hmm. which, as you know, was book number two. And I helped him edit book number two. I helped him edit. I helped edit cash flow quadrant. So um, and anyway, so we've been friends for now 24, almost 25 years. And so. That's, that's just a really cool story and it's, yeah, it's, it's legendary, but you know, it was meant to be, it was like, you were meant to be yeah. the first discoverer of that. And, and obviously now you've lived that in so many ways, which is so exciting. And you know, it's so interesting. I was at a restaurant last week and I overheard a conversation. I think somebody was joking around and it was a woman. She said, you know, I just can't wait to marry a rich doctor one day. And she was joking. And I was thinking about it because I knew you and I were going to be having this conversation soon. And obviously you wrote the book, you know, about why doctors don't get rich and yeah. but the common thought process is hey every doctor every physician is is rich so talk to me why don't doctors get rich what what is it i mean is it the cash flow quadrant walk us through that yeah and yeah and that's that's a good point as a can so and you really then doctor is just an avatar for anybody now we're you know we're, we're trading our time for money trading for a fair amount of money if you're a doctor uh 
But if you don't see a patient, do a surgery, you know, you have to perform a service to get your fee. And that happens to lawyers, architects, engineers, et cetera. All of us, we're, we're trading stuff. We're all trading our life for what we're getting right now. It just depends on how we're trading it. So um, and the thought process was, you know, doctors as that avatar, anybody that just, if you're working for a living, first of all, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with, we all like work. I can tell you a lot of retired people that are working harder than anybody that's got an eight to five job. But if you are working for your money, which is sort of a, a rich dad concept, if you're working for your money, you're not necessarily free because somebody can take that away from you. So it's, it's part, it's mostly mindset. And I know, I know many physicians who have an awesome mindset and they're doing great. They're starting companies, they're doing things. Uh, and so it's not just doctors, but anybody that kind of has that, if I need to get ahead, I want to work harder uh, or work more. That's not a bad thing, but sometimes the work smarter is a little better than working harder. So the premise is that how do you really get, you can't, how can you be rich if you have to continue to work to live? So mm-hmm. not necessarily doctors, but that's sort of the thing. Why? Because if they stop working, the money stops coming in and the lifestyle has to change unless you create a really, really big bucket of money. And that takes a lot of years. I agree. And I think that the the thought process around work smarter, not harder is, is important. And if we can combine perhaps, you know, effort and diligence and persistence with working smarter, that's where we start to see amazing results. But I, I agree. I think the mindset is important. And you've talked about the wealth minded physician before. Right. Could, you, could you expand upon that thought and what what really is a wealth minded physician? And, and to your point as well, it's not just about doctors. I mean, this is high earners across the board or, or folks that are trading right. their time for money, right? Anybody, wealth-minded person, you know, um, you and that's the premise of the book is if your income's active, it could be massive, which is awesome. But if your income's active, you may not be as free as if your income was passive and, and that covers your bills. So a wealth, you know, as you and I talked a little bit before, before we started the program, you know, wealth, wealth has, wealth has a lot of, a lot of components, one of which is money. You know, you can you can be successful in the in the financial in your your financial world, but will you be successful in your spiritual world, your relationships, your health, your your network, and your colleagues, and so your education, your mind? So I think I think a wealth minded person is someone who is humble enough to be open to learn, humble enough to to understand that none of us know everything. We all, we can all learn something from every person we interact with every day. And so I think that's a wealthy mindset because you never know where something's going to happen. You never know if you're going to walk into a, into a um, car wash and your life's going to change a little bit, or if you're going to meet a person that's going to change your trajectory and be your partner or teach you that one thing that's going to get, that's going to be the spark that's going to get your rocket to finally get off the launch pad. So I think openness, humility, um, diligence, persistence, patience, uh, sort of all the hallmarks of very simple, very simple, but sometimes hard to execute hallmarks of how to have a successful life. And a successful life doesn't always mean a lot of money. We're all looking for a successful life and that's defined differently for everybody that's, that's listening to this and everybody that's in the world. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide 
property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Well said, well said. And is the trade worth it? I think is a, is a great question to continue to go back to, but I like that that's the foundation of the wealth-minded individual is, hey, I'm open to learning and I'm open to changing my ideas. You know, what I had before may be open for refinement. If I learn something new that I can then replace that and say, you know what, maybe that was the best thought process I had at the time. But now I've gotten new and more information. So I'm now willing to change. It's not to say, hey, I was an idiot before, but now I'm continuing to grow. And I think that that foundation opens us up for everything else that we talk about as far as mindset. Would you agree to that, Tom? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, you know, what you were good at five years ago might not apply now. You know, there's always it's growth. Growth is also a wealth, a wealth mindset. Just and, and as I as I try to talk to folks and help them through things, it's just, you know, just try to be a, a little bit a little bit better, Tyler, tomorrow than you were today. Yeah. You know, just grow a little bit somewhere. If you do 25 push-ups a day, do 26 tomorrow. If you if you told two people that you were proud of them, tell three. Tell your wife, you know, whatever you want to work on, just a little bit better each day. The compound effect will really show relatively logarithmic changes if you keep it up. I agree. And the compound effect is the eighth wonder of the world, according to Albert Einstein. So let's use that in more ways than just cash flow, right? Because as you mentioned, this is not just about money. This is about lifestyle. This is about giving. This is about fulfillment. Ultimately, I mean, fulfillment to me is, is, I mean, like, if you think about it, like Tony Robbins says this all the time, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I think if you can be well-rounded in terms of your spiritual life, your health, your relationships, your time, the way that you're spending your time, the way that you're giving to other people, the way that you're growing, the way that you're, you know, create, you know, creating an impact financially and otherwise to me, that's what's most important. And that's why I think you and I love real estate so much. So Tom, I'd like to fast forward. I'd like to talk a little bit about Presario Adventures or I'm sorry, Presario Ventures now. And uh, I'm, I'm on an adventure, right? We're, we're talking about adventures, but I want to talk about Presario Ventures. Um, you guys are targeting class A uh, multifamily properties across Texas and Southeast, uh, or I'm sorry, the Southwest. Could you talk a little bit about your strategy and what you guys look for in a good deal? Yeah, you bet. And you know, my strangely enough, my partner for Presario Ventures, we met at a Robert Kiyosaki event in Arizona. I was on stage. Robert introduced me. Hey, this is Tom Burns. He's from Austin, Texas. That's where I met my partner. Chance meeting on, wow. the, on a break at a, at a convention, not a convention, at a seminar. So we got to know each other. So we've known each other for 20 years. We've been partners for 13 or 14 years. So, um, you know, we did our we did our first we did a few things earlier. We did our first really big project in 2009, 2008 and nine. Good timing, right? Hopefully uh, right after, or was this before all the, it was during, okay, it during. was during basically we had, yeah, we had 16 acres. We were going to put some apartments up and uh, GE capital was our debt. And okay. so we were, we were getting ready to work on the equity and then uh, things went a little bit South, as you know, in 2008 and nine and GE Just capital said, 
said goodbye. You know, we're not giving, we're not loaning right now. So there we sat with a lot of money sunk into this, and you know, it was a, it was a Titanic that we just couldn't turn fast enough. So we were we were the, we were either lucky enough or or too dumb to stop. So we kept going, and uh, somebody said, "Why don't you try the the guys at HUD?" We said, "What's HUD?" And so it was FHA, you know, HUD HUD loans, right? And we said, "Okay." So we went and talked to the guys. They were they were still they were still giving loans. So we got a HUD loan. That's where we cut our teeth on on HUD loans, which we use a lot now. They're forty year fixed. It's great debt to have. It causes a lot of brain damage to get it, but it's it's great once you have it. So that's where we learned, and and we did that. And you know, flash fast forward twelve years, we refinanced the thing three times. It's been a home run. We were the only project to come out of the ground in two thousand ten in Austin, Texas. So uh, and it sits in a pretty nice area. So anyway. Um, that, that's kind of where we started. We had both done a lot of things. I built, I've built medical offices. I have student, student, uh, student housing experience, a little bit of mobile home stuff, you know, notes, whatever. I, like I told you, I'd do anything that would put money in the asset box. We sort of, we, we both had some experience in multifamily and we, we consciously made the decision and really more in the mid teens, the 2000 teens, we thought, look, you know, multifamily built or bought in the in the right location or built or bought right does well through a recession because we both have kind of gray hair. If you can see, I got a gray hair here that came from 2008. That was from 2001. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you, you do want to hedge your bets. I mean, you, you want to, of course, make your profits, but uh, we wanted to make sure we held our property if, if things turned down and, and sort of both of us expected things to turn down who knew they would print trillions of dollars. So right. that's why we focused on multifamily. Um, we did buy some for a while, but we had development experience. And so over time, uh, a lot of people started buying uh, value add stuff, which was a, is a great model, still a great model. Uh, but our uh, that was sort of a red shark infested ocean, you know, prices are getting bid up and we were over there in the development world where nobody wanted to play and we were pretty proficient at it. So most of the people in Texas know who we are uh, and we get, so we get, all our deals are off market. Doesn't mean they're good deals, just means they're off market, you know? So we get <laughs> land and we get things and that's what we do. We put up, uh, you know, we, we build multifamily and build to rent now. I think build to rent's up, got some, got some legs and gonna have, you know, certainly going to have enough of a run for us for, for the next few years. And we do branch into other asset classes now as well. So, well, there's so, there's so many different nuggets there. I mean, one of the ones that you just mentioned at the end was that just because it's off market doesn't mean it's a great deal. I think that's important right. for us to all recognize, you know, cause sometimes that it's like almost branding. It's like, Oh, well I got this deal. It's off market. And so I'm yeah. automatically going to buy it. You know, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a great deal because who knows how many eyes are still on it. But to your point, I mean, obviously over time you develop this reputation and you develop yeah. this understanding as to whether a deal is, is worth pursuing or not. But I think it's right. interesting going back to 08 and 09 and that first bigger project for Presario Ventures, the sort of the gift that was given to you in that environment, which is now manifested to such a larger degree and kind of a specialty in terms of how you finance deals on the HUD financing 224, uh, 221 D4 debt. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the, the nuances of that debt and what you've learned over the years and maybe give us a, a little bit of insight? I know you mentioned, obviously, uh, 40 year fixed. I mean, that's that's amazing. But you, you mentioned brain damage, you know, and, and sourcing that debt. Talk to us a little bit about the nuances and, and how you source that and, and what you look for in that type of financing. 
Yeah, you bet. And we don't use HUD all the time because it depends on, the, depends on the speed of when you want to dispose, uh, dispose the asset. And so we have a hybrid where kind of half of our half of our properties are, are merchant builds. They're built to sell. And the other the other are built to hold long term. So if you want to hold long term, you want a HUD, a HUD project. So I'll start, I always like to start with the good first. So the good part is it is 40 years of fixed amortization. Uh, fixed rate. So you pick, you know, fix now at 3.75 for the next 40 years, which is nice. In fact, amazing. it's actually 41 years and eight months. You get 20 months of interest only at that rate. So then that's your construction loan. So we, it's all one loan. You, you, you build, you just pay interest only and you do your draws every month. And then eventually you, you, you lease it up, you stabilize. Once you reach stabilization, you get what's called a cost certification and all that. And hopefully you do all that within 20 months because at month 21, you start amortizing and then you go 40 years after that. Some more benefits of HUD loans, you know, the default rate on a HUD loan is less than 1% nationally. You can refinance them for 50 basis points. So Tyler, if you wanted to come in and buy one of our properties, if you were HUD qualified, it'd be 50 basis points. Nice deal, you can take over the same rate. Um, you'd pay us a lot of extra equity if you were buying one now, but anyway, you can still assume those loans. Um, if, uh, let's say, let's say times are bad because you know, life is, life is waves, right? Life is not always smooth. Like it's been, it's sort of been on an up trajectory ever since about 2009. So, you know, keep wearing your seatbelts folks. Um, but, uh, uh, if, if times do go bad, they can do something called an A7, which is just, a uh, an interest rate. Uh, reduction. So you can reduce your interest rate. Doesn't cost too much. You can also do, you mentioned 221D4, which is the new construction loan. You can do a cash out 223F, which is just your basic, you get a new loan, cash out, refinance. You get to, you get to pass that on to your investors or to whoever owns the project. So it's a nice loan. It, it, it's stable. It removes one of the variables, which is interest rate. Uh, so there's interest rate market and uh, something else I'm blanking on now, now I'm blanking on my three variables. Um, so taxes, sorry. Oh, and actually on that project, we mitigated taxes too. We don't pay property tax on that either, but that's an other whole other seminar. So the downside, uh, you know, if you get a loan with Fannie and Freddie right now, or an insurance company or, or a portfolio loan, it's going to take you, you know, 60 days, 30, 60, 90 days. You do a HUD loan, it's, you know, at one time we had it down to as fast as five or six months. It's going to take you nine months, sometimes 10, sometimes up to 12 months these days. Lots of, uh, that's the brain damage part. You go to, you go to three separate meetings, you go to a concept meeting when they say thumbs up, go for it. What that means is you've spent a hundred thousand dollars on your engineering and architecture. And then when they give you the thumbs up, you go spend another eight or 900 to get everything ready. And then they tell you if they're going to give you the loan or not. Ooh. But odds are, odds are ninety over ninety five percent that you'll probably get that loan. And once you get through everything, it's yours. You can only distribute to your investors twice a year. That's okay. And a good thing for the investors is there's third party audits. So they bring in a third party to look over our shoulder, make sure all the numbers are right. So little belts and suspenders for the investors with their large escrows. You have to escrow working capital and operating deficits. So they don't want to lose those loans. They don't like to take back property. And it's a, it's been a, a, a staple of apartment development and a lot of other stuff. It's not just apartments. So it's been a good loan. 
Yeah, that's, it's super interesting. And you think about, you know, nine to 12 months to source that kind of debt. I mean, it doesn't really put you in a position for success in the acquisition side of things because of how fast things move. I mean, you can't be, you can't be tying up a property for that long. So obviously we're talking about 221 D4 for your development deals, 223 F for your stabilizing cash flowing deals, correct? And yeah. so, I mean, are we talking the same time frame for both products typically or? You know, that 223F is still long and that's, it, that's more of a refinance. That's more of a it? refinance of a D4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, if, I mean, if you're, if you're buying a property, you go buy it, you go buy it with some uh, short-term variable debt and then mm-hmm. you, you execute your value add plan. Then you can go through the six month process to get a 221, uh, excuse me, a 223F. Sorry. Sorry about all the letters folks, but you can get that refinance loan. And, uh, and, uh, and that's usually about 35 years, unless it's a really old property, they may adjust that term. And so instead of 40, it's 35 or 30, but it's fixed again. So talk a little bit about your equity, um, because, you know, we're talking about debt and obviously this is for two different, you know, potentially the same product, but both products that you have under control, this is not a new acquisition. This is either a product that you have developed or one that you're wanting to develop. Talk a little bit about your equity and how you structure that as well. Sure. Sure. And, you know, uh, most of our stuff's common equity. We do, do, we do some pref equity deals. Um, but it's usually just simple common equity. And we started, you know, we just started friends and family many years ago. My partner actually started some on his own. I had mine on my own. We came together, you know, it's like, what's that movie? Yours, mine and ours were the two <laughs> husband and wife get together. They each have a bunch of kids, right? Yeah. Uh, so we, we just sort of, you know, we put our kids together and now they're our investors and, you know, we've had them for some of them are closing in on 20 years. So we've had some of the same investors for 15 plus and almost 20 years. And that's, that's a good thing. I like to brag about that because that, that means we treated them right. Uh, so we stayed what we call retail friends and family. It's just, it's a very large number. Now we have a lot of friends and family and, and through that process, people, you know, folks started to notice the things we did and we've had a number of family offices, quasi institutional investors. And we, we have those folks that, they court us for this, for this. And, you know, you can, I'm sure, I mean, we could, we, we've had the offer before they'll, they'll finance, they'll, they'll cover all of our deals if we give them all our deals, but you don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> diversity and your real estate and diversity in your equity is a, is a safe way to go. So we use a mix now of retail and, um, and institutional investors. So we just, we just don't take the whole thing down with one institutional investor. No, that's awesome. And this is the compound effect as well, because as you deliver over time, the more that grows and the more that people want to do it again with you and so forth. And so I think that's awesome. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the BTR space. Obviously, this is a this is a newer sort of asset class to a large degree, but build to rent. Talk a little bit about what you guys are up to and what are you seeing in that space as well? We like it. We like it a lot. Um, and we've been looking at it for golly, for two years. We're slow, you know, we're analog guys, right? I got a computer, <laughs> but still, I still want to meet you and shake your hand. So we do our, we make our relationships slowly, uh, you know, hire slow, fire fast kind of thing. And so, but we're in, we our first project going on in Houston and we're looking at in a very large way in another state um, along the line of thousands of units. Um, and so we like BTR. It's, it's, you know, it's a it's sort of a premium product over an apartment, so to speak, depending on what you want. But a lot of people want, they'd like to have no common walls. They like a little bit of grass. 
Um, they'll pay that extra premium to have that feel of being in a home, but down the road or in the same complex, you still have the same amenities that you have as, as an apartment complex. Then you take economics into consideration, you know, the, the millennials and Gen. you know, it's, it is difficult to buy a house. I live in Austin, Texas, and it's expensive. we could talk for hours about what I wish I'd have bought a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> it's crazy. It's just crazy nuts. And so, and our thought process, you know, I'm a parent, I've got two adult kids and our thought process is that they may never be able to afford a house in Austin. They could afford to rent uh, in, in a nice area in Austin in a BTR. So that's the younger crowd that can't can't really put down the down payment, doesn't really want to house, would like to have a house, but can't really afford it. Then, you know, bridge the gap to somebody that's in my demographic. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a pretty active guy, but, uh, you know, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s or whatever, a lot of them, and if they've been somewhat successful or, or wherever they, they are on the quote success uh, continuum, nice to have a place where somebody else mows the lawn, somebody else takes care of the problems. If something breaks, you pay a little premium for that, of course, uh, but somebody takes care of everything. And let's say you want to go visit your grandkids for a month, or you've got a second home in the mountains in Colorado, you just turn the key, lock it up. Somebody's going to take care of that place. So we think there's a lot of demand. Uh, the data says there's a lot of demand. I do I have, have spoken internally at our company. We do need to keep a kind of keep an eye out on the horizon to see, you know, when when things might change. I think the Blackstones of the world are going to, again, be buying up houses. There may be some housing inventory coming up in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. And those will be available for rent, but they won't have that amenitization that the BTR spots will have. So that's why we like it. So, Tom, one of the things you mentioned earlier was, you know, we, we've we've had this run up since 2008, 2009 to now. And you mentioned and I love this phrase. You said, keep wearing our seatbelts, keep wearing your seatbelts. Uh, what, what do you anticipate? I mean, what are you seeing in the horizon? I think it's hard for anybody to really have a crystal ball, but I'd love to hear what's going on in that beautiful mind of yours. Yeah, and it's not in my and it's it's really cloudy. My crystal ball is cloudy. I shake it every day. It never works. Um, so people ask me when I when I think the recession's coming, and I confidently say 2017 because that's when I thought. You know, every year, what's going on? So we just know. So we know life is waves. What it always moves in waves. Just it's it's never going to be different this time than it was last time. There will be some sort of flattening, downturn, whatever, and who knows what's going to cause it. So. You know, I, I of course that's going to happen, uh, but I don't know when or else I'd be really smart or really rich or one of those things. But, um, you know, if you look at the data, though, you look certainly you look in my area and you look in the sea, look in certain areas in the United States there. it You can't the horizon looks bright. You just can't see the you can't see the, the potholes uh, ahead of us. So everything looks good. Uh, and so I, I think we probably have some headroom. I hope we do, because certainly when you do a development, that's, you know, that doesn't close tomorrow. That takes us two or three years. Um, we're aware there's going to come a time that we're going to build. So we're going to start something uh, one year and then a year or two down the road, things are going to change. So I think you need to stay in the game because if you're not in the game, you don't you don't notice when things turn and when things change. So you got to kind of, you know, kind of keep your uh, keep your conditioning up, so to speak. If you if you if you operate all in fear then you're going to do nothing. And if you operate with absolutely no fear, you're going to get yourself in trouble. So it's a balance between the two. And I wish I could tell you exactly how to do that, but it's your education that's going to help you determine where that balance is. 
Yeah. Balance, balance with that fear, that relationship with fear. And I like that. Keep your conditioning up. I think that's a, that's a really good one. Tom, one of the things that I've observed about you is that you you mentioned earlier about being humble and, you know, trying to continue to learn and always put yourself in a position to learn. One of the things that it's really not apparent in the orthopedic surgeon world to to be humble like that, you know, (laughs) know, I've surrounded myself with with some others and, and uh, I think that's not been the consensus. And so one of the things that you do, it seems is you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Could you talk a little bit about that habit and how you've instilled that and how you fought that, you know, that inner ego maybe uh, over the years? Sure. Well, what I found was it wasn't hard to find people that were smarter than me. So um, (laughs) that was easy. Uh, But yeah, no, I found that out. I tell you what, what, you know, I, I, I I never had a problem realizing it's always somebody else's. Every person's got some talent that I, that I could learn from or that I wish I had something like that. But what I really fought a lot was, uh, was the do-it-yourself syndrome. You know, we are, we are physicians, lawyers. We pick, pick a lot of professionals. We, we do it, right? It's, you know, it's Kiyosaki's S quadrant. And what's the song we sing? Nobody, you know, I did it my way. Nobody does it better. That sort right. of thing. It's hard. And I battle that. I battle that to this day. Um, you know, I know intellectually what I've got to do, but it, it, sometimes I need some, some education, some instruction and some help on how to let go on certain things. So, you know, it's that you need that leverage. There's so much that can be done by others that that are better at it than you. So that was the one thing I struggled with. And and I'm, I'm continually working on that. There's a book called Who Not How, which is a great book for anybody with the disease that I had to read. Uh, so it's it's a great book. So it, it's um, uh, uh, it's just so much more fun to do things in teams. And when you realize that this thing that I used to do, OK, now I, you know, what is it they say? If somebody can do something 80% as good as you do it, but with none of your time, take it. Right. Do it. So, uh, you know, so that's, that's how that helped me when I heard that one, because you don't always like the way other people do it, but I'm also not spending my time doing it. So it's important to have people around you that'll guide you, push you, uh, uh, be account and make you be accountable and vice versa. And all that really just makes you a better person. And it does what we talked about earlier, which is that growth. You tend to grow through it. You get, you grow up to their abilities, which is really nice. I'm also a recovering do-it-yourselfer, so I can totally yeah. appreciate that. And in that book, it's come up so many times. Uh, I had the pleasure of reading Who Not How, and it it changes the way you look at things. Instead of saying how can I accomplish something, it's who can help me accomplish this. I, who can accomplish this for me at times, you know? And it's not to say that you're better than someone else, but maybe that gives someone else a new opportunity. Just the repetition of that thought process for me, it's it's breaking that that chain of hey, I have to do it, or I should do it, or I can do it best. And if I don't do it, it won't be done, you know, to the degree that I expect it to be done. And it's like this repetition of asking ourselves that question, I think is so, so powerful. So thank you for that reminder, Tom, Tom, this has been amazing. I really, really appreciate you. I want to transition into our rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. I think even just that question of, Hey, you know, who, not how is a rare question, but also the way that you think the way that you've approached life over the past 30 years has been rare. And so I want to dive into a few questions for you, obviously being a prolific author yourself, I would imagine you're a big reader, obviously being very humble in the way that you open your mind to new ideas. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would you say about that and why? You bet. And of course, we've always got Robert's books, Cash, Rich Dad and Cash Flow. It's, it's the 
It's the best one-two punch for somebody to start with. Um, but, you know, what I've read recently, uh, Atomic Habits was awesome uh, because, you know, I listened to a guy named Brian Tracy, who's he's one of the guys uh, Tony Robbins listened to when he was young, right? These are the older personal development guys. I finally got him to finally clicked on me to listen to goals. So I, list, I read Brian Tracy's goals book. It, it was kind of old. There's probably there may be better ones out there, but that's the one I read. And then I read Atomic Habits. To, to figure out how I was going to achieve those goals. Um, I did love who, not how I have to put that in because that's been in the last year or so. And then just finished twice going through and I listened to it. It's called the gap in the game. Same, same author. It's Benjamin Hardy. And he's doing this with Dan Sullivan, who runs the, uh, you know, his uh, entrepreneur uh, mentoring program. The book is great. I'm, I'm sure it's probably in print the same way, but, but it's just about six concepts and, they interview Dan Sullivan in between, and it's basically the thought process that, you know, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Are you in the gap or are you in the game? If you're in the gap, you're thinking, I wish I had what Tyler had. You know, I wish I had that cool headset. I wish I had a podcast that had two or 300 episodes, but instead I'm, I need to look back and think, you know what? I had a great lunch today, or I, I had some success in my business this morning or, you know, anything. It's it's the thought process of of always measuring backwards and looking back and realizing where you've come measure backwards because you have grown from wherever you were. It can be from yesterday. Or it can be from 10 years ago. Don't always look forward because that provides anxiety that causes anxiety. Uh, I've heard that quote to live in the, to live in the future is to, is to cause anxiety. So, so those, those were some of my favorites. There's, there's some more, I'm kind of blanking on them right now. I read, I, I like, uh, Oh, uh, I forget the author's name. I'm, you know, I should shoot myself for this, but I like the obstacle is the way. Yeah. Ryan uh, holiday. I think Ryan, he's in Austin, Texas you. too, isn't he? I probably, who doesn't live in all, you're the only one in the world that doesn't live in Austin, Texas. <laughs> I feel like it, man. <laughs> Everybody's moving here, but yeah, you know, so I've read a number of ego is the enemy. Uh, the mm -hmm. obstacle is the way, and I'm actually in the, in, in process. Yeah. I read two or three books at a time. I'm reading the happiness advantage, which is another good book. So you can see all those things. None of those are how to buy a multifamily property and make right. a lot of money. They are mindset books. They're personal development books because I know I've got a lot of growth I can do in that. And it's just really fun for me. And, it, and it's, I, I learn more and, and it's funny. You start, you start going through that stuff and gee, life seems to all of a sudden the bank account for whatever reasons seems to be fuller than it was before. That's so, so true, which is why I love to talk about mindset, mind expansion, personal development more than anything. You know, obviously it's great to talk about real estate strategy every now and then. And we, we do, we, we did talk about that today and I thought that was super valuable, but what's more valuable is perspective. And, and I, especially what you shared about Dan Sullivan's newest book about that gap, you know, many yeah. of us listening today or engaging in this conversation, we experience that constantly where it's like, you know, yeah, I'm doing well, but but look at so-and-so and look at what they're doing. And man, I'm so far behind and we're not in a competition with anyone. That comparison is the source of dissatisfaction and so much negative energy. And I think if we look at the competition with ourselves as really, that's what it is like who we were before and how we're growing and how we're evolving to me, that's so powerful. Oh, it's important. Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. And yes. so, you know, use those people for motivation, but not to compare you. They are not you and you're not them. And so, you know, you need to compare, you need to compare who you are now to that person you're going to be 10 years from now. Matt, what Matthew McConaughey said, his hero is him 10 years from now. And that's how that's, that's a really great thought process.
There you go. Talking about another Austin, Texas individual. There. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going to name this show the Austin, Texas you know, legends today. But uh, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find the books that you mentioned, as well as why doctors don't get rich by Tom awesome. Burns. Um, so we'll definitely invite the listeners to check that out. Tom, what's the, biggest, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Um, you know, I, I try to connect. I have three core values, adventure, connection, and growth. And it took me a long time to, to whittle down to just three. Uh, so I, I, I love meeting new folks. And um, when I'm not doing that, I have, I've learned to sit down and kind of write down, write down my victories, write down my goals, whatever. I, so I do a journal kind of my friend, Hal Elrod taught who lives in Austin. See, I'm telling you folks, if you're not in Austin, hey, you're, I guess you're missing out, but um, <laughs> I do. I, I kind of write things down and sometimes kind of sometimes go back and read what I wrote. And if, if I find out that I was bitching about something, it doesn't seem quite so big, you know, six months down the line when I go back and look at it. So um, I, I, that's, that's, that's what I do. I, I like to connect with folks. That's awesome. I like those core values. I think that's another reminder for all of us is, Hey, what are, what are our core values? And I love those adventure connection and growth. And it's funny that I said, Presario adventures earlier. And I really yeah, I meant Presario <laughs> ventures, but this is an adventure. This conversation, this relationship is an adventure. So that's yes. awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Tom? Um, you know, I like, I like for them to have hope. And, and if there's any guidance that can be given, I, I want them to know that they're a star in whatever, in, in some, some aspect of their life. So I always want to be there to, to, to help let that, to help find their why, to help guide them, that sort of thing, or just be available. You know, if they need help, if they need me to carry something that then I can elevate their life because people have different love languages, right? You know, sometimes they just need a little help. Sometimes they just want somebody to talk to. So um, and it's, and you know, and I'm not doing any service cause I love doing it. So it's just nice hanging out with folks. Tom, you're amazing. I'm going to acknowledge you for giving today. I mean, you've got the experience you've, but you're also humble to say, you know what, what I, my experience is what it is, but there's something new that we're all going to learn. And Always. I just appreciate that about you. I appreciate, you know, you showing up with your core values and living that and, and setting such an example for us. And also, you know, uncovering Robert Kiyosaki. I mean, look, you uncovered Robert Kiyosaki and, and there's so many gifts and there's so many people who have changed their life because of your discovery in, in such a big way and you continuing to give to people and showing people that, Hey, high income doesn't mean freedom, but you can move along this path and you can create systems in your life, but also recognizing, man, that it's, it's about what happens between our ears. So Tom, thank you so much for being on elevate. I really appreciate you. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with elevate nation today? You know, guys, whoever you are, you know, just again, don't look at that guy and say, look, I'll look at him. I could never do that. Everybody's a success. You you can do it. You just need to just be a little patient, a little persistent. And there's a, you know, there's a, there's a great life ahead of everybody. You know, this guy, we're on a, we're just on a great run here. It's just great to be on this rock. It's great to be alive. There's, there's no sense in dwelling on the negatives. Just look for the positives. Couldn't have said it better myself. Tom Burns, everybody. Thank you so much, Tom. Uh, the listeners can find Tom at richdoctor.com or on yes. LinkedIn, Tom Burns, Facebook, Tom Burns, MD. Uh, and also we have an offer for the listeners uh, to learn about seven steps to creating wealth on a busy schedule. Just go to richdoctor.com slash confidence and you can access that for free. So Tom, is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you? I think that's the best place. 
All that right, works, my friend. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom, again, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Tyler. Elevate Nation, did you have as much fun as I did sitting down with the friendly, the knowledgeable, the wise Tom Burns? I hope you did. I've really enjoyed that. And I just learned so much. I think that there's so much that we can apply from an individual like that who's been around the block for, for decades and decades and decades. And he's continuing to push. He's continuing to challenge himself. He's continuing to learn. He's continuing to be humble and accept new information. I think that's the foundation of our conversation today. So if we think we've arrived, then maybe that's the the first step to failure. And so let's let's never arrive. Let's continue on this journey and let's continue to learn. So I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show because rep Petition is the mother of all skill. I also want to encourage you to share this with a friend and discuss this with a friend because we learn so much more when we engage in discourse, when we have a discussion with someone else. I want to encourage you most importantly to identify what are your top one, two, or three takeaways from this episode and apply those immediately because really at the end of the day, it's all about action. It's all about if we learn something now, let's put it into action. Is there any shifts? Is there any tweaks? Is there any mindset changes that you'd like to make that you'd like to commit to that you'd like to put on a piece of paper, a post-it note and put it on your desk or in your car to remind you a certain way of thinking? What was it that you learned today that's going to make you shift? Because ultimately that's what it's all about. If you, if you don't make any changes, then you know what, what was this really for? So I want to encourage you to apply those changes immediately. Um, at least one, at least one. So that's my calling card, Elevate Nation. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.